um, continuing our series this morning, um, our identity in Christ, going through kind of the I am statements. And um, last week I was in town. I was here in Tucson, but I was preaching at another church that a friend of mine asked me months ago if I would be willing to preach at. And so I was up there preaching at that church. Wonderful people, wonderful church. Um, but I got to be honest, I love you more. So um, nothing against them. They're wonderful. They're great. Uh, but it's great to be home. So um, and so I felt a little bit. Uh, I've never traveled this much in my entire life as I've had to travel this past July. In fact, I told Randall yesterday, I kind of felt like him. And for those of you who know Randall, he travels a lot. And for a brief moment, I had to remind myself, where was I? Just a brief moment, uh, because I was gone so much. And uh, so two weeks ago, uh, it's hard to believe it's been two weeks ago, we were at our general conference in Boise, Idaho, had a great time there. And uh, students and adults, and um, if you talk with Debbie, and you ask her kind of one of her highlights, I heard, she didn't tell me this personally, but I don't doubt it, she thought the business sessions were fantastic. That is just, we need to pray for, for her, please. We need to pray for her. Um, because we had a really good speaker. We had Ricky Bolden, and some of you might know who Ricky Bolden is. He played for the Cleveland Browns. I forgive him for that. Um, and uh, just a wonderful, fantastic preacher. And, and, you know, preaching to a bunch of us brethren, there was at one point in his talk that he called and he said that we were a little amen constipated. I mean, you know, I, apparently we weren't saying amen a lot. I don't expect any of that from us today. After all, we are just, you know, we're brethren. We raise our hands on the inside, don't we? Right? I'm, I'm just saying, that's, that's what we do. And uh, so I don't expect any of that this morning. But I, I'll be honest with you, hearing Ricky preach and hearing him share, you can't help but walk away a little fired up. A little fired up. When a former football player is preaching at you, you tend to want to pay attention. Um, and he just brought in just a, just a phenomenal message about evangelism and about looking at others that all we have to do with people is just love them, right? And I would put it this way. All we have to do is love the people that Jesus loved and we can hate everyone else. That's all we have to do is just love the people that Jesus loved and we can hate everyone else. And in case you don't know this, Jesus loves everyone. He hates no one. So that's just, that's just the reality. And so it just reminded me of the fact of just who we are in Jesus Christ and how loved we are in Jesus Christ. And, and it, sometimes it pains me to know that there is a world out there, that there are people out there who, because of one thing or another, because of their upbringing, because of their cultural background, because of wherever they may live, all of this stuff— that there is a whole world out there that truly, I think, does not know how deeply they are loved by their Creator. There may be some of you here today who may not realize how deeply loved you are by your Creator. By your Creator. If you want an answer to the philosophical question, if you've ever asked this of yourself, is, is if you ever asked, is humanity um, evil? Is humanity born evil. In other words, is humanity at its core evil? And you may have probably discussed this at one time or another. My answer to that is no. For one simple reason, we are sinful, but we are not evil. We are not beyond redemption. If that was the case, Jesus wasted his time coming. Wasted his time being here. And here's the thing in Genesis. When 
God formed all of what we see today and things that we don't even see that we are still discovering uh, that is out there in the farthest reaches of space. And by the way, if we think that's the undiscovered country, you know, just read the statistics that our oceans are still somewhere like 70 to 60% undiscovered. We don't know all that's in our oceans. And, and there's probably a good reason for that. We all saw Jaws and we don't want to even go anywhere near that whole thing. But when it came to the creation of, of humanity, and, and, and even before that, God looked at everything as he was creating it, and at the end of the day, he would stand back and he would say what? It is good. It is good. Do you know what he said when, after he created humanity? He didn't just say it is good. You know what he said? It is very good. It is very good. Brothers and sisters, know this if you want, if, if there's any, nothing else you get from this message today. You are created in God's image and you are dearly loved and God doesn't make junk. You are very good. You are very good. You have never met an ordinary person. We're going to discover that today in today's passage. You have never met someone who is just simply ordinary. That if we were to strip away our humanity in some way, our broken bodies that we live in now, and see who we truly are or could be in Jesus Christ, we couldn't turn away. We would mistake that person for an angel or maybe even, dare I say, God himself. It is just a beautiful picture. So let me just say this, brothers and sisters. Do not shortchange yourself. Do not cut yourself down un, you know, needlessly. That is wrong. Do not sit there and say, I am worthless, I am junk, I am not loved. The Bible says completely different. And I want you to understand that this morning. And I'm not just saying that because I'm going away for two months. Okay? I'm saying that because I truly believe it. I wouldn't be up here if I didn't believe that Jesus Christ truly does love you. And all I hope to do is just help you discover how much he truly does love you. That's, that, that's what I want to do. And I want to do that not only through preaching, but I want to do that hopefully in the way that I serve, hopefully in the way that I interact with you. All, I don't do it perfectly, but hopefully I can strive for that in my own life, is to show you, is to tell you how deeply loved you are in the, by Jesus Christ, who created you and knows you. If there's someone who knows you better than you, it's him, and he still loves you. Period. Now, that's not my message today. That's just the intro. Um, let's get into Romans chapter 8 this morning. I titled this message, I Am an Heir, as we work through these identity statements. And it is true, we are heirs. And as followers of Jesus, I think there in some ways we know that we are heirs. That we know that there is a great inheritance that we are going to be coming into when we are uh, no longer on this earth, but only temporarily with Jesus in heaven because there's going to be a new earth and a new heaven. And, 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 all of a sudden, we know that there is going to be this inheritance. Now, I'll be honest, I've shared this before, I'll share it again. I think that sometimes we Americanize, and this is not unusual, we do this, this happens all over the world when it comes to understanding our Christian faith. We, we uh, obviously, we put it in context, we put it to where we are, all this kind of stuff, and there has been a theology that has been developed oftentimes, and, and this is only something I think America can do, but it has certainly spread, is that we believe our inheritance, if you've heard this before, is a big mansion in the sky that we get to sit there all day long and just on our front porch in a hammock just saying, Jesus Christ, you're the best. Oh, look at this. This is beautiful. 
This is just a gort. Oh, I love this house. Look what you gave me. I didn't have this on earth, but I get it now. Everything I want. Gold-plated stairs, the pool, the sauna, you name it, we get it. Right? And even we say, the streets of gold. Oh. I'm not here to burst your... Yes, I am. Um, uh, That's imagery, but that whole idea of the mansion in the sky, that's uniquely American. It doesn't matter where we're going to live. It matters who we're going to live with. And that's Jesus Christ. It matters... Where we're gonna, who we're going to live with, and, and in the context we're going to live with him is in a, a space and in a, in a time where there is no sin, no death, no sadness, nothing like that. And that's a beautiful day. So Romans chapter 8 talks about this inheritance. And what I think is so interesting, I want to read this first passage real quick, verse 16. Um, I'm, gonna, I'm sorry, I'm going to uh, mess you up there in the, in the back just a little bit, so hang with me. It's okay. I just want to say this. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are children of God. For those of us who have accepted Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, we are children of God. The Holy Spirit indwells within us and reminds us we are his children. We are his children. And it goes on. And if children, heirs also. Oh, I like that. Heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. Oh, I like that even better. We get to be heirs. And not only that, fellow heirs with Jesus Christ. We get to be heirs with what Jesus is getting. We're also going to get. So the question is, what are we going to get? We have to answer, what did Jesus get? Right? Paul answers this. And he goes on, he says, if indeed we suffer. Oops, time out. Wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Not the deal I signed up for. If we suffer with him. Wait, wait a minute. Jesus Christ suffered. Yeah, he did. That means we have to suffer. I don't want to burst your bubble, but I may have today. That, that part of the air is we get what Jesus gets, and Jesus got suffering. So we are also in line for suffering as well. Not needlessly, but we are in line for suffering. In fact, Jesus himself did say this, right? He said this, if the world hates me, guess what? It's going to hate you. It's going to hate you. We suffer externally because automatically as followers of Jesus, now we are all of a sudden now positioned against the world. Our posture now towards the world is the world doesn't like us because we're followers of Jesus. Because the world doesn't know who Jesus is. Doesn't know who Jesus is. The world rejected Jesus. His own people rejected him. And so we are also going to be automatically kind of postured towards being rejected. Jesus even said this, I did not, I came to bring a sword. Now, Do not take this as Jesus advocates for violence. That's not what he is saying here. And what he's saying is that all of a sudden now I divide mothers from daughters and fathers from sons and brothers from brothers and sisters from sisters and sisters from brothers and mother-in-laws from daughter-in-laws. He probably didn't have to go very far to do that in the first place. But (laughs) nonetheless, that's what he was talking about, that automatically choosing to follow him will create division. Not intentionally, but because all of a sudden now, there are people who will look at us and say, yeah, I'm not, I don't like that. I don't like that you became a Jesus freak. All that kind of stuff. And so automatically, there is an aspect to the Christian life, that in case you don't know yet, you, you ought to be aware of, is that there is an aspect of the Christian life that involves suffering. Paul acknowledges that in these verses. 
because Jesus Christ suffered, we too are going to suffer. So that's part of our air. That's part of what we get. Don't like it. I get it. I didn't write it. Paul did. But then he goes on and he says this, and he says, but it's not needless. And he says this, so that we may be also glorified with him. So first comes suffering, then comes glory. Now, let me just say this. The Christian life isn't always easy. In fact, St. Augustine, an ancient kind of early church father, said this. God had one son on earth without sin, but never one without suffering. C.S. Lewis, in his book, The Problem of Pain, writes the following. Pain insists upon being attended to. You can't always ignore it. God whispers to us in our pleasures, speaks in our consciences, but shouts in our pains. It is his megaphone to rouse a deaf world. So here's the question I want us to tackle this morning. If we are heirs with Christ, and part of that heir is suffering, then what is it that God may be speaking through his megaphone that he wants us to know when it comes to pain? That's the question I want us to tackle this morning. Are you with me still? That's the question I want us to look at this morning. And I think there are three things that I think in this passage, that this passage shares about what it is that we need to realize when it comes to pain and suffering. And the first one is this. Suffering reminds me that pain is temporary, but guess what? Glory is forever. Glory is forever. Glory is forever. I want to read further on verse 19. Let me just read the end of this. I've already read the first three. Or let me read verse 18, actually. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed to us. Paul puts suffering in its proper context. Suffering, pain, is temporary. It will not last forever. The stuff we go through as followers of Jesus, the hardships we may encounter, and in fact, some of us here today might have chosen to follow Jesus based on someone saying something like, if you follow Jesus, everything will be well with you. You will never get sick again. Your finances will be in order. Your relationships will be wonderful. You will never have to deal with another problem again. I hope you didn't hear that message, but maybe you did, and you chose to follow Jesus because in following Jesus, you thought, rightly so, understanding what you heard, if I follow Jesus, it's going to be wonderful. I will have to suffer no more. I'm sorry to break that to you. It's just not true. In fact, let me just say this. If chances are, Maybe you experienced just the opposite. If you chose to follow Jesus, things didn't get easier for you. It got harder. Not only are we externally now all of a sudden against the world, but let's be honest, there's some stuff in our life, sin in our life that we've got to deal with. And you know what? I don't know about you, but I just prefer to leave the past in the past. Right? Oh, Jesus, let's don't bring that up. I'm forgiven, you know, through your blood. Oh, Jesus Christ, you died on the cross. So let's, yeah, you, you yourself even said, I will, as far as the east is from the west, I will cast your sins way over there and I will remember your sins no more, right? That's scripture right there. Amen, amen, right? Well, why are you bringing it up again, Jesus? 
Because Jesus, I believe, says, hey, we got to work on some things. But this time it's going to be different. The first time you did cause harm. You did cause friction. You did hurt other people. You did things that were sinful, that were wrong. And guess what? The answer isn't to put it in the past and pretend it never happened. The answer now is to address those things. But the difference is is that I'm going to walk with you through that. There may be things God may be bringing up in your heart. And you're like, no, 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 no. I don't want to deal with that. It's in the past. It's just too painful. I know what I did there. I'm ashamed of what I did there. It's awful. I don't want to do it, Jesus. Please let it go. And Jesus keeps bringing it up over and over again. Or you continue to find yourself in situations, continuing to do the same thing over and over again, wondering why does this keep happening? Maybe Jesus is trying to say to you, guess what? We've got to work on this. And it's hard, it isn't enjoyable, but let me tell you, it's not a waste. One pastor, I believe, rightly said this, God never wastes a hurt. And what Paul does here is he says, guess what, as hard as this is, it is temporary. It is temporary. It is not going to last forever. And he says this in verse 19, for the eagerly awaiting creation waits For the revealing of the sons and daughters of God. In other words, all of this suffering is leading us to be revealed as to who we truly are in Jesus Christ as his sons and daughters. That's where suffering has its place. But that doesn't last forever because there will be a day when we stand fully exposed and now finally realized who we truly are in Jesus. And then we may look back and say, ah, I understand. I understand. It is, it is how it is in many ways. I, I love how one author says this. The eternal cause of pain is not clear. If you are in pain today, chances are, and I do it as well, you are trying to figure out why. Why is this happening to me? Why am I in pain? Why does this keep happening? Stop trying to figure out always the why. Y- you may have come up with your own conclusions. You may have said, well, this is the reason why is because, you know, maybe God is angry at me or maybe because, you know, I'm just, it's just a cloud over my head or whatever else. I'm not worthy. All these, you may be just doing some self-talk. Maybe you might be coming up with some good conclusions as well, but chances are maybe not. And how many people have oftentimes going through pain, have tried to figure out why they're going through it. And oftentimes that's not the reason at all. It may be a completely different reason or a reason they may never know. So my advice to you is stop trying to figure out why you are in pain, attend to it, but maybe the why isn't as important as what are we going to do about this? The author goes on and says this, the eternal cause of pain is not clear, it wears a mask. But because God is good, we have hope of a good eternal cause to our temporal conflicts. The good out of all this is we are revealed as his true sons and daughters. We are revealed as his true sons and daughters that's what i love about this yes one big reason why we are in pain is we live in a fallen and broken world and following jesus now we are now positioned against the world and not only that there is sin in our own lives that has to be addressed but let me just share this god's plan for redemption has been in place shortly even after the fall genesis three fifteen. know this verse know this verse i've shared this verse but to you before i'll share it again i'm going to give you a theological term i've shared with you before but you have aptly forgot it and that's great i can't because i paid a lot of money to learn it proto evangelion oh isn't that nice 
We like to make, let me just say this as pastors and theologians, we like to make ourselves feel kind of important. So we come up with some pretty fancy words to describe what essentially is the first inkling of the gospel. And that verse, part of that verse simply says this, and it's God cursing the serpent. And he says to the serpent, you will bruise his heel, but he will crush your head. That is the first inkling of Jesus Christ. Yeah, you're going to wound Jesus. You're going to wound him. He's going to suffer, but he is going to ultimately destroy you because of his suffering. That's the gospel, brothers and sisters, right there in Genesis. Right there, shortly after the fall. Right there in Genesis. He has always had this plan in place. And yes, part of this plan does involve pain and suffering, but it is not wasted It is for a purpose, to shape and mold us and to ultimately reveal us as his sons and daughters. Tim Keller, a pastor who, by the way, right now is going through fourth-stage pancreatic cancer. A wonderful author, wonderful pastor said this, and I don't know if I put this in there. If I didn't, don't worry about it. Oh, I did. Thank you. I'm good. Um, (laughs) One of the main ways we move from abstract knowledge about God to a personal encounter with him as a living reality, is through the furnace of affliction. Sometimes that's sometimes the best way to get to know who Jesus really is. I think sometimes Jesus is some, he's there, he's there, he's out there, but sometimes affliction brings him here, right here. Okay, God, as I'm going through this stuff, you got to show up because I'm hurting. Jesus, I I hope you're here because that's when we really now begin to know who he is through affliction. Let me just say this. Pain is temporary. Glory is forever. There are some of you here this morning who have suffered a long time. Some of you have suffered physically. Some of you have suffered emotionally. Some of you have suffered spiritually. Some of you have even suffered, which is the most common form of suffering, mentally. And some of you haven't just suffered for days, weeks, or months. Some of you may have suffered for years and years and years, and it feels like eternity. Hear me today. I I am so sorry that you're going through this. I am so sorry that this is happening, but I want you to know this. As, As long as you have been going through it, it will not last forever. It is temporary. It is temporary. Number two, suffering reminds me that pain is rooted in hope not despair. If God's plan for redemption and to be revealed as his sons and daughters involves suffering, then we can know that suffering that we may go through is rooted not in despair, but rather in hope. Listen to what Paul writes here in verses 20 and the following. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it. Guess what? In what? Hope, not despair. Let me tell you something. We got to work on our eschatology, brothers and sisters. If you don't know what eschatology is, that's the study of the end times. We got to work on our end times and our belief what's going to happen when Jesus Christ shows up for a long time. Do you know what a long time many of us Christians believed? Is that the world is going to burn. And then also we said, well, let's just help God do it. I'll just let that rest there for a second. That was never our responsibility. This is God's world. If he wants to burn it, that's his, that's his choice. We're told to take care of it. Oh, I could go in so many directions on this, but I'm leaving. I could because I'm leaving for two months. <laughs> <laughs>
let you settle on that. I'll just say this. As Christians, we ought to be the chief environmentalists. Now let this get political. How ridiculous is this? How ridiculous. Let the world burn. That's God's decision. I just want to take care of it. But here's the beautiful thing, is when we fell, or maybe it's not a beautiful thing, it's just reality. When we sinned because of Adam and Eve's choice, who they represented us, I get it, we weren't there, we didn't have that choice, but nonetheless, that's what it is. Not only did humanity fall, but guess what else fell? All of creation fell with it. Yes, this world isn't going to live forever. It's not meant to. We're not there to help push it along either. But it's not meant to live forever. There's going to be a new heaven and a new earth. But that's God's decision when that's going to happen. But until then, we are just going to take care of it. But here's the thing. Nonetheless, creation fell as a result of humanity's choice. And God allowed it to happen, not in just despair and just giving up and walking away from it, but rather in hope that he will redeem this all. We live in a fallen world in case you didn't realize it. Not only are we fallen, we live in bodies that are wasting away. They do not last forever. I mean, you all know, well, you never know. I used to have more hair. I know. And now I'm blonding again. You might say I'm turning white, but I refuse to acknowledge that. But I will wear it as a crown of glory when that happens. But, you know, we are, my wife was talking to me. We were having a conversation the other day. She, she met with a friend who was doing face yoga. Have you ever heard of this? I've never heard of this. Face yoga. The, you've heard of this? Oh, Audrey has. <laughs> face yoga. And I said, why do you have to do face yoga? Because your face begins to lose muscle and all, as you grow older. And in fact, as you grow older, it becomes harder and harder to take a pencil and hold it between your upper lip and your nose. And you all are going to try it later on. So you do face yoga to loosen up the face muscles. I would just say, just smile more. Right? Why do we do that? Face yoga. There is money to be made in everything, isn't there? Um, I, I, whew, how do you, anyways. Um, why do we do that? Because we know that we are getting older. All of a sudden now, the things that we used to be able to do, we can't do as well. All that, we know this. Well, guess who else knows it as well? creation itself creation itself in fact verse 21 it goes on paul writes that the creation itself also will be set free from its slavery to corruption into the freedom of the glory of the children of god for we know that the whole creation groans and suffers the pain of childbirth together until now do you know who else is waiting and anticipating the coming of jesus christ all of creation we're not the only ones all of creation knows that this, this cannot last forever. This is not good. I am suffering here. This cannot last forever. All of creation is also groaning for the time when all things will be made new. All things will be made new. That is what creation is waiting for. And suffering reminds us of that, that this is going to change. You know what the key aspect of hope is? The key aspect of what makes hope hope is that it's change. It does not last forever. Things will change. And in this case, it's going to get better. Pain and suffering is a reminder of that. Things are going to get better. Things are going to get better. It's going to get better. 
And so all of a sudden now, Paul seems to kind of reframe this understanding of pain and suffering in a way that helps us to get understand that, guess what? This is a good thing. This isn't a bad thing. And by the way, what I love about what Paul writes here is he is not writing from some sort of theoretical concept. He is writing from a person who experienced pain and suffering in a real and tangible way. He writes about it himself, about how he was shipwrecked, about how he was beaten, thrown in the jail. And one time, he was actually stoned and and, and left for dead. He gets up and he goes right back into the city. He suffered for the cause of Jesus Christ. He ended his days under arrest in Rome for the cause of Jesus Christ. He knows a thing or two about suffering. And so when he says, guess what, brothers and sisters, this is a good thing. He also, by the way, had a thorn in his flesh, some sort of physical ailment. We don't exactly know what it was, but we know that it was something he prayed, Jesus, take it away from me. And he prayed it not once, not twice, but three times. And God said, no, because in your weakness, I am strong you will discover more of who you are in me. So look at this, not as a bad thing, but as a good thing. Pain is rooted in hope, not despair. Finally, the third one. This goes along with this whole idea of groaning and pain. Suffering reminds me pain is birthing deliverance, not death. Verses 23 and 24 says this, and not only that, but also we ourselves having the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves grown within ourselves, waiting eagerly for our adoption as sons and daughters, the redemption of our body. Brothers and sisters, if you don't know this yet, I want to ask you this. How many times do you groan? You're sitting down. Oh. You're getting up. Oh. You're waiting in a line. Oh. You're in a traffic jam. How many times do we groan? We groan because would you please birth something new? You know what? We're actually birthing something new. That's a reminder that these groanings are just pains. That it's birthing something new. And it's a beautiful thing. It's a beautiful thing. Verse 24 says this, and it goes on, and even that we that we're eagerly awaiting our adoption as sons and daughters and the redemption of our body. And then that's why Paul writes in verse 24, for in hope we have been saved. But hope that is seen is not hope, for who hopes for what he already sees? Guess what? The hard thing about hope is that we know it's there, but we don't yet see it. But that's hope. That's hope. If we can see it, that's not what, so what? But if we can't, but we know it's coming. Oh, that's a beautiful day. Brothers and sisters, we ought to be the most hopeful people on this planet. Because we know that the hardships that are taking place, not only in our own lives, but in other people's lives, that the pains and sufferings that we as Christ followers have and suffer and work through isn't a waste, but is birthing something new, beautiful, a new creation. It isn't easy. But the end is going to be awesome. The end is going to be awesome. It's going to be a beautiful, beautiful thing. So let me say this, and I don't want to sound surfacey, but I may. 
but please do not take it this way. Dare I say, pain can be a good thing. Not something we may desire, no hope for ourselves or for anyone else, but it is with a good purpose from a good God resulting in a good end. This morning, you may be in pain. It may be physical. It may be spiritual. It may be emotional. It may be even mental. You're worried. You're in anguish. You're stressed out. You don't know what's going to happen next. You're worried about your finances. You're worried about your relationships. You're worried about your health. You're worried even about whether or not Jesus loves you. If anyone is there. If that is you this morning, I have a request. Would you allow myself and some of our other pastors and elders to pray over you? Would you allow us to maybe even anoint you with oil? Not as a reminder that you are sick or that you're going through pain or that you're in anguish, but rather as an affirmation that you are his son and daughter. And that one day you are going to stand before him fully in his glory and know who you truly are. Would you allow us that opportunity this morning to pray for you, to reaffirm in you the fact that Jesus loves you, that although you may be in pain, it is not a waste, that although you may be hurting, it's going to be okay because we serve a good God. And Jesus loves us more than we could ever possibly know. I'm going to invite up at this time our pastors and elders. And they're going to be up here, and we're going to sing. And if you feel so led, I'm going to invite you to come down to any one of us. And let us just pray for you. Anoint you. And affirm on you that you are Jesus' son or daughter. Father, I pray this morning for every single one of us. I thank you, Jesus, that you love us, that you are with us, that you journey with us in this world, Jesus. I pray for every single person here today. Father, I pray that your presence would rest on each and every person here. Jesus, I pray that they would be affirmed on their hearts that they are yours and yours alone. Father, I pray for healing. I pray for redemption. I pray for deliverance. I pray, Jesus, for the hope that you have instilled in all of us to once again emerge in us that things are going to get better. New birth, new creation is on the way, Jesus. Thank you. Thank you, Jesus, for loving us more than we could ever possibly know or imagine. In your holy and precious name we pray. Amen.